Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. God loved us before time began, shown through his son, Jesus Christ. As the body of Christ, the church, we dwell in the love of Jesus, which compels us to live in the ways of godly love. How do we respond to God's love to us shown in Christ? In this week's message of the week, we continue our trajectory worship series. Pastor Bryce Blank shares from Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, and challenges us to respond to the love of God highlighted in this passage. We, the church, dwell in that love. How do we use and display it? Here is the First Church Message of the Week. That video for us is kind of our introduction to our sermon series uh, that we started last week called Trajectory from Our Origins to Us. And it shows a bunch of images, so I know they weren't all uh, easy to catch the first time. Um, But they are images of practices that we have in our church that we do now. You may have seen worship or a baptism but they also show images of those same practices that may, what it may have looked like when they were originally put into practice, an early baptism or what worship may have looked like before. So in the weeks to come, we're only in our second week, I would invite you to uh, try and catch as many of those as you can and, and see and pick out those little differences um, in the ways that we have as Christians evolved over time. Before we get into our scripture today, I invite you to pray with me. Wonderful God, as we are here in worship today, we ask that you would allow us to see where you are calling us in the world. Allow us to be brought closer to you. And as we hear scripture read and the word proclaimed, that you might speak to us, to our situations and our place in life, that we might know your love more deeply. In your name we pray. Amen. So our scripture today comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 23. And I invite you, sorry, 12 through 23. That'd be a lot of verses. And I invite you to follow along with me on the screen. Since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, this is the reason that I don't stop giving thanks to God for you when I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that makes God known to you. I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call, what is the richness of God's glory and inheritance among believers. And what is the overwhelming greatness of God's power that is working among us believers? This power is conferred by the energy of God's powerful strength. God's power was at work in Christ when God raised him from the dead, sat him at God's right side in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority and power and angelic power. Any power that might be named, not only now, but in the future. God put everything under Christ's feet, and made him head of everything in the church, which is his body, 
His body, the church, is the fullness of Christ, who fills everything in every way. This is the word of God spoken to us today. Now, last week we kicked off our worship series and we read from the book of Acts. And we learned about the early church in Ephesus and how it had begun to form and spread the word of God by the baptism of, and making of disciples by the Apostle Paul. And we talked about how the Spirit of God is present in those baptisms and whenever they are gathered in a space. These Christians, these early Christians, were known only as the way. They weren't known as Christians at that time, but they were known as followers of the way. And so we dived into the early challenges that followers of the way faced as they received pushback and distraction and even riots over false idols within their community. Today, we will continue to look at that early Ephesian community and church in hopes of learning more about ourselves as Christians, who we have been historically, and who and where we are called to be as children of God. This week, however, we're moving from the book of Acts that talks about that community into the book of Ephesians, which continues on their story. But first, before we dive into our scripture, I want to share about a time before Jesus. In the year 1776 BC, located in Southern Greece, along the Peloponnesian Peninsula, and yes, there's a test on where that's at. <laughs> Just kidding. There's a place called Olympia, and in this place called Olympia was a man named Corobus. And Corobus ran a 192-meter foot race. And the reason why we know about him is because he won that race. Corobus was, or is, our first recorded Olympic champion. Now, the Olympics are these collection of contests that have evolved and grown in popularity, as I mentioned in the children's message. And in the time of our first recorded Olympics, where Corobus won this 192-meter foot race, it was the only event that was held. There was only male athletes allowed to participate, and it was really only a handful of athletes. They didn't have a nice track or all this nice equipment. They were running on dirt and sand. But over time, those Olympics, or that Olympics, evolved and became what we know as the modern Olympics today. And really, the format or the structure that we know of today was established in 1896. And at that time was really when we started to differentiate between the Winter Olympics and the Summer Olympics. So we had so many sports and events and athletes to celebrate in one time in competition that they had to divide it up into two different times that were uh, celebrated every four years. And so these two Olympic gatherings have grown to the point where in the Summer Olympics, they now have 300 athletic events over 28 different sports. And the Winter Olympics have 102 sports with 15 disciplines being celebrated at those games. So quite a few more people than this initial Whittle race that Corobus won back in 1776. And to date, or at least since the modern Olympics were established in 1896, 206 different countries 
have participated in the Olympic Games, both men and women, celebrating and showing off their athleticism. So clearly this has grown to be something much bigger than one group of people. Over the years, the Olympics have become a shining example of how our world can come together around the celebration of our best athletes. And an online editor of what's called The Global Citizen talked about the Olympic Games. Her name is Christina Nunez, and she said this. She said, let's forget the aggressive competition that we all love to watch. And remember, the Olympics are a beautiful example of countries putting aside their differences to come together to celebrate the world's best athletes. Like any international event, there have been a few Olympic Games that have had their fair share of controversy, but for the most part, they've been remarkably peaceful and powerful demonstrations of unity. I would have to agree with Christina's words that the Olympics have been a remarkably powerful and peaceful demonstration of unity. Now, as we look on to the church in Ephesus in this community, which the Ephesian letter is written to, it's a community that on the surface seems to be doing very well. Now, I say on the surface, you know that there's trouble to come. But before we dive into that, I also want to note that many scholars have kind of debated about who really wrote this letter and who its intended audience was. So most commonly, we attribute the letter to the Ephesians as being a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. However, some would debate that it actually was a traveling companion of Paul or someone doing ministry in that area who wrote these letters, and that this letter was actually written to all the Christians in this area, not just the Ephesian church, although they are included. And I point this out to be transparent about our text, but regardless of where we land on this, the context in which this letter was written and the content that it was in, is within it still holds true for us today. And so going forward, I'll refer to the author as Paul and the, and the community that it is intended to as Ephesus, since we are tracking this community from the book of Acts to Ephesians. And so when we investigate the context of this letter a little bit more, we see this community that is doing well, but below the surface, there is tension. And this tension really is so subtle that we might miss it initially. I actually did definitely miss it the first couple of times I read through our text today. I had no idea there was any tension involved. And so as we look to our scripture again, I want us to notice first that this text is actually a prayer. That the Apostle Paul is praying for the Ephesians. Prayer being one of the foundations of our Christian faith, one practice that brings us in direct relationship with God. And Paul is an expression in writing this prayer, one, because he knows that it will change him, that in the act of praying, we are changed as we are brought closer to God and thinking about others, but also as those who heard or read these words would also be changed by the way Paul is praying for them. And so understanding that our scripture is prayer is pretty important too as we look to further study it because it kind of changes the way we understand and interpret it. Now when we look at the first part of this prayer, starting in verse 15, 
I'm going to read it here in a second, and I'm going to put some emphasis on some other words, and I want us to pay attention to who Paul is talking about, what the direction of this prayer is going. So starting in verse 15, Since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, this is the reason that I don't stop giving thanks to God for you when I remember you in my prayers. I pray that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you, and he kind of goes on and keeps going, but you get the point where I put that emphasis. That when Paul says, you are your, he's referring or talking to someone other than himself. And when he says, our, it designates a shared characteristic. The use of our creates kind of an insider language that suggests there is an us and a you. In this case, the designation that Paul is making is between Jews, who Paul is. Paul is a Jew, a practice of Judaism. And, he's, and the us, or I'm sorry, the you in this case is Gentiles. The, the our he's referring to is Jews, and the you is the Gentiles. Gentiles being the people who haven't practiced Judaism before, who haven't come to know God, or who aren't from Jewish descent. And so when we know who Paul is addressing, then it becomes it makes his words of thanks and gratitude for what God is doing that much more powerful. Because he is thanking God for working in the lives of those who had otherwise been considered outside of God's reach. Who he is praying that they would, in turn, grow closer and know God more fully. By praying for someone who is outside of his own group as a Jew, by praying for the Gentiles, he is demonstrating the power of Christ to unify. He's demonstrating the power of God's love to bring unity so that those who read and hear will understand more fully the love of God. Paul's prayer then continues on, and he, and he asks for wisdom and the unveiling of who God is to those who don't know God yet. And he prays one of my favorite lines in all of Scripture. He says that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call. The eyes of your heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call. What he means by this is that we are to be open to the light of God around us, but especially the light of God in our own lives, that we might see the darkness and the horrible things in our world and look past them and see the goodness in our world. To God at work. We, now we usually think of the heart as being that which connects us to our feelings like compassion and empathy and kindness and love. And Paul's prayer for the Gentiles in Ephesus and for us is that we might let the light of Jesus show us and enable us to act in the world around us, for the hope that is found in God. One of God's many calls on our life is to remain open even just enough to let the love of God guide us to act in our world. Action that comes based on kindness and forgiveness and grace and mercy and compassion and empathy, all out of the love that God has for us to others. 
I think that is a beautiful thought that is wonderfully expressed in Paul's words. The eyes of our heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call. God loved us before time began. God created us in God's image to be in relationship with him and to live in all that is good. But we rejected that goodness and that relationship over and over, despite how many times God tried to help us out. And so we remained separate from God. And as a humanity, we continue to separate. We continue to find ways to divide ourselves as humanity. Evidence of this, we we really don't even have to look any further than the place where God was said to dwell in the temple in Jerusalem in ancient times. This temple had a giant wall all the way around it with this inscription that said, No man of another nation is to enter without or within this fence and this enclosure around the temple. And whoever is caught will have himself to blame that his death ensues. One small example of how left without the love of God shown to us in Jesus, even in the place that God was said to dwell, we have found ways to divide ourselves. And in this case, at the stake of death. We always, in all places, put up walls to separate ourselves in our world. But Christ breaks down those walls. Christ creates a new humanity in which all people are reconciled and where hostility then gives way to peace. God showed us the love that God has for us through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And as believers in Jesus, we are the body of Christ in the world. And we are then compelled to live in the ways of God's love. Paul's message to the church in Ephesus, and our message for today is this then, that we are unified by the love of God. God's love is the one thing that binds us all together despite our differences, despite our differences of thought, of practice, of belief, of heritage, upbringing, social view, political view, economical view, whatever it is, we could list those for days, our differences. And so the question then are the questions that we must answer for ourselves. How will we respond to the love of God shown to us in Christ? How will we maintain enough hope in our hearts to see God's call for us, as Paul says? And how will we, like the Ephesians, find unity in the love of God? My hope, my prayer, is that we may be and know the love of God. That the love of God might show us patience, maybe when our family or our friends or our random stranger gets on our nerves. That the love of God might show us or allow us to see the goodness in someone who we don't agree with or we don't get along with. That the love of God would fill us with positivity, with joy, that we might share to all the love of Christ, that Jesus is our Savior. That the love of God would show us and allow us to have enough light 
as Paul says, to see the hope of God's call on our life, that we might find purpose and be fulfilled in what we do and how we act, that the love of God might inspire us to accept those who we have been too hardened to otherwise accept. Ultimately, that the love of God would give us peace, and knowing that through Jesus Christ, we have eternal life with God. Now, the Olympics, they've had their fair share of controversies over the years. There have been instances where there was violence and discrimination, but as Christina Nunez said earlier, for the most part, the Olympics have stood as a symbol of unity for our world. Even in the times when those three times we didn't even have the Olympics, we still had unity. World War I, World War II, and the COVID pandemic. We were united in what we chose to do or not do. And notice how when we talk about the Olympics as a symbol of unity, we don't say a symbol of uniformity. The difference between unity and uniformity is being able to accept our differences. So my hope, my prayer, and my challenge for us here at First Church and in the Watertown community and for our world is that in the knowledge that we are all unified by God's love for us, whether we accept it or not, that we would be inspired by the Ephesians' acceptance of the Jews and the Gentiles, that we would be inspired by the Olympics to seek instances of commonality in our world, and that in doing so in the love of God, that we would make our world a better place. Let us pray. God, we are united by your love. And while unity in our world, while finding commonality amongst believers is a hard thing to do, we ask that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us to do that. That in all the places we dwell, while we can celebrate our differences, we also can celebrate the love you have for us the way that we are brought together for you and by you, and that we'd be filled with so much joy that we would want to share that to everyone we encounter. All this we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information like our church calendar, worship times, and upcoming events, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.